On this episode of Behind the Headlines, we get into the next 21 days in our battle against the coronavirus. On the show, we're going to have Justin Hicks and Taylor DeSormo, and they are going to dive in to what is happening in the state of Michigan and what you need to know. So hospitalizations is a, uh, a lagging factor is what I keep hearing from health experts. And so uh, usually two to four weeks after you see cases go up, you'll see hospitalizations and deaths go up. Where you, you, you set a kid down in a room and you put five M&Ms in front of them and you say you can have these five M&Ms right now or you can wait an hour and if you don't touch them then you can have this whole bag of M&Ms. I think there's a lot of businesses right now that are kind of looking at those five M&Ms saying hey if we don't eat anything in the next half hour we're gonna starve to death you know so we, we need to take what we can get right now because businesses are are kind of right right on that edge so it's it's kind of a tough spot right now um, when you kind of look at the economy and as I said, our guests for this week, reporters Justin Hicks and Taylor DeSormo, who cover everything in the world of COVID in the state of Michigan. But before that, I want to welcome in my co-host and vice president of content, John Heiner. John, how are you? Eric, I am waiting for you to ask me that question sometime in a year that does not end in 20. Because <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, the last week has been, of course, just more... More of the same. We they predicted it was coming um, it, when the fall arrived and colder weather and people coming indoors. But right on time with Thanksgiving coming in and Christmas coming, we're seeing a surge in COVID all across the country. Um, it, you know, and actually we have a president who won't leave the White House, and COVID has managed to knock that out of the headlines. So it kind of gives you a sense of the gravity of the situation. So you know, here we are a uh, week out from, from Thanksgiving week. And I thought it would be a great time to bring in some of our reporters who cover this issue in the state of Michigan, which is of course seeing a surge like many other Midwestern states. So joining us today on Behind the Headlines are Justin Hicks, reporter, and also reporter Taylor DeSarmo, who both work on our public interest team. So uh, good morning and welcome. So just, you know, I think most people uh, who have a consciousness and follow any of the news, uh, heard the announcement that came Sunday from Governor Gretchen Whitmer, but why don't you break it down, just the basics of this, because one of the things that struck me, um, I got a tip from somebody before the press conference, and it was a little uh, hyperbolic. It said, um, you know, they're closing all businesses and schools, and I, I didn't think that was likely, but the details, once you get into the details, there's a little more nuance and some differences from the breakdown um, excuse me, the shutdown that we saw in the spring. So why don't you just for the sake of, you know, taking it from the top, tell us a little bit what's different and what's the same uh, from the first set of lockdowns that we saw. It is definitely less of a shutdown from before. So um, high schools are closed for in-person learning, but other schools um, like elementary and middle school, they can stay open. Um, you have restaurant bars that are closed for in-person dining. They can still do outdoors and they can still do takeout, but they, they can't have uh you can't eat in their dining room. Um, organized sports is another one. Um, so high school sports, those are all halted right now. Now some college sports and, and pro sports can continue. Um, other ones that, closings that are starting um, on Wednesday include uh, theaters, movie theaters, stadiums, arenas, bowling alleys, um, ice rinks, water parks, bingo halls, casinos, arcades, and group fitness classes. So that, that's kind of wrap right now. There's still a lot of things that are open that weren't open in the spring, like, for example, going to a salon and getting a haircut. Yeah, essentially, the focus was and is on in-person gathering and trying to limit that. A lot of health experts have said it's 
it's the small groups inside uh, without masks on for uh, extended periods of time that is leading to the, the big spread we're seeing right now. And so um, in addition to what Taylor said there, uh, you don't want more than two households getting together uh, indoors. Uh, and even when you have two households, they recommend uh, wearing masks. And well, Justin, you know, you've been also writing about the surge in cases and the numbers that we're seeing. And, you know, so how much of these guidelines and, you know, feel free to, you know, just use your, your own opinion here, but how much of the guidelines were also balanced, like what people are going to be able to tolerate and what's realistic with Thanksgiving coming? Um, you know, these, there's obviously no policing mechanism for two, two family gatherings and that sort of thing. But uh, one of the backlashes this spring was when they closed personal services like Bar you know, the Barber and Owasso and the, the lawsuits that came out of that and some of the backlash. So, you know, how much is this is practical and how much of this is, you know, political in the sense that, you know, people have kind of hit the fatigue level on what, what they're willing to do and not do. I think the, the, the goal was to not go back and shut everything down. Uh, there were some shutdowns that um, had negative effects beyond um, kind of what was expected. And as, as we know more about COVID now, and we know a bit more about what spread and how we can alleviate some of that, um, it's, that's kind of gone into how they, they look at it this time around. Um, I, I don't think a full shutdown was going to be accepted all that much. And especially with uh, kind of experiencing it the first time you add in the fatigue uh, factor there. I think they wanted to do something that was going to hopefully reduce the cases and slow down the spread, but maybe, like you said, kind of find a middle ground that is difficult to enforce, especially when you talk about uh, you can't have more than 10 people inside a building getting together and they limited it to two families. But I mean, that's kind of going to be up to up to each and every one of us to do. And I think kind of one of the the messages that I've I've heard a lot is, you know, it's can't restrict everything. It is going to have to be up to to us as as Michiganders to do our part to wear a mask and social distance and and really it, it's going to take every individual effort to reduce the spread and these kind of restrictions on indoor places. Um, I think was just a, an attempt to um, kind of alleviate some of the the settings where we're seeing spread or, or just people being there around each other without a mask on for an extended period of time. One thing, uh, you know, and Taylor, you feel free to weigh in on anything that Justice said, but, you know, there's only seems like there's only so much you can do with legislation or politically. And right now there's some, some really good stories on them live today about how the legislature is kind of just, just punted on this. Uh, there's a lot of rhetoric uh, that you know, it's a, it's a Republican-led legislature, and they directed it the governor, who's a Democrat. Um, but they they haven't taken any meaningful legislative steps to deal with COVID in Michigan. And also, then you know, Governor Whitmer's had to become a little more creative without she because the court struck down uh, her ability to use the executive orders. So now she's using uh, regulatory agencies. You know, what's the political scene right now? And, and is that helping or hurting things here in Michigan in terms of, uh, you know, people getting a consistent message about what they need to do? Yeah, there's a great story this morning up uh, up on MLive from uh, my colleagues, Emily Lawler and uh, Julie Mack. 
And the headline kind of tells a lot of it. It's a, a lot of bluster and a stark reality. Michigan legislature has no plan to stop the surge of COVID-19. Um, so I think going back a few months, obviously the Republicans have been fighting. Um, we're fighting the executive orders and the, the Supreme Court ruling um, knocked those out. But obviously we, we still have a mask mandate. We still have all these different mandates from the Department of Health and Human Services. And it's been kind of weird because the, the Republicans were really pushing, hey, we want to say in things. We want to be able to to have uh, be at the table for these conversations. And, and now since the executive orders were thrown out, they really haven't come to the table with anything. Um, the, the only things they've offered up are maybe some help with unemployment, extending that, or um, even some ways to try and allow counties to reduce some of the restrictions that the state has um, for, for COVID. So there, none of the solutions really target um, the pandemic at all. Um, and it's kind of still just political infighting. I know Gretchen Whitmer is, is really pushing the legislature to, to, to have a mask mandate, not because we don't have one now, but just because if, if both parties are pushing it, that makes people more likely to, to want to comply. And that's really the key right now. I've noticed in reading up on what's happening in states across the country, um, especially Republican-led states are a little more reluctant no, they're a lot more reluctant to have to use laws or executive orders to dictate um, personal behavior. They want it to be a matter of choice. But even in some of those states like Idaho or the Dakotas and, and so forth, they are going to mask mandates and, and things of that nature, which really tells you how bad this surge is. And medically, in uh, Justin, I've seen you've written a lot about the caseloads and stuff. Why don't you distract for us a, a little bit, put in perspective what we're seeing now versus the spring? Yeah, absolutely. I guess so is picked up significantly in the spring. Um, but also we, we weren't really, we didn't have a good idea of how many cases, how many infections there actually were because testing was so limited at that time. We pretty much were only testing folks who were in hospitals or who were symptomatic and sick. And so uh, we, we know now that 40% or more of people who are infected are asymptomatic. And so testing has had to increase. Uh, we can get a better understanding how many people are infected. Um, so as we got into the summer, we saw um, kind of the effects of the shutdown and um, the increased testing. We were able to um, see numbers go down in cases and deaths per day. Uh, and they pretty much stayed relatively throughout the summer, um, especially with people being outside, that helped a lot. Um, it's harder to, uh, for COVID to spread outdoors with so much air moving and wind and whatnot. And then as we've headed into the fall, um, people moving back indoors, maybe people getting tired of wearing a mask. Uh, we started to see cases go back up. I mean, we're talking uh, less than a thousand new cases per day um, and as we've moved into middle November now, we're looking at close to 7,000 cases per day. We have just been every week. It's, it's a significant increase, um, deaths per day. We were looking at it's down to four and, and kind of hovering around the nine and 10 range for most of the summer. Now we're looking at almost 60 deaths per day over the last week. So we're, we're seeing those start to increase pretty heavily. Um, and it's also uh, carried over into our hospitalizations where we had, in the spring we had probably 
almost 4,000 hospitalizations for COVID, but a lot of it was focused on the Southeast part of Michigan in the Metro Detroit area where they were hit the hardest. Um, hospitalizations kind of slowly went down. It got to about 300 and now we're looking at uh, about 3,500. So we're getting back up to the peak of what we saw in the spring. So instead of just hammering at, at the Metro Detroit area, um, it's it spread out better. So capacity is getting up there, but it's not at that danger level that it was. And I think that's why we're hearing uh, health officials coming out now and saying, look, we gotta, we gotta do something different. Otherwise we're gonna see this continue to increase until we don't have the staffing capabilities to handle it. So Justin, do you think that hospitalization number is gonna keep going up? Yeah, so, so hospitalizations is a, uh, a lagging factor is what I keep hearing from health experts. And so uh, usually two to four weeks after you see cases go up, you'll see hospitalizations and deaths go up. So what we're seeing now, especially looking at cases still going up, it's expected that two, three, four weeks from now, we're gonna see hospitalizations and deaths also see a, a significant increase from even what we're seeing now. What's it going to take, you know, I mean, this is me going off sideways because, you know, we probably, it's a rhetorical, we're not going to know the answer because if we had 60 deaths a day from shootings, things that were visible and the things that people worry about, if a plane crashed and killed 60 people a day, you know, people would stop flying. I mean, there's something about the nature of coronavirus, and we've known that since this spring, that people keep the, the the reality of it somehow at arm's length, you know? Yeah, well, I think there's there's a, a, a thought that goes with it that as we learned in the beginning, folks who are uh, older populations and folks who already had other health conditions um, have had more severe cases and have been more, uh, the fatality rate's been higher for those groups. And so I think there's almost this concept of, oh, it's just folks who are already ill that are dying. It's not the healthy people. And you, you see on social media all the time, people saying 99.9% .9 of people are going to survive this. So I'm going to take my chances. And I think there's there's just a thought of I'm going to beat it or or people I, around me that I know haven't died. And so we're probably okay. Or I know somebody who had it and it was minor symptoms and so so that concept i think you can kind of out of out of sight out of mind uh idea and you're just like well you know i don't know anybody or i'm healthy so i'll be fine and then you add in you know eight months of this and, and people are just kind of tired of it it's so much less visible too right i mean and I, I before this beat i was covering the city of jackson and the county of jackson and and there was probably, I think there was about five or six homicides a year and, and people were furious. They wanted change now. They wanted, um, they wanted the city to, to bend over backwards to, to solve this issue. And, and it's an issue for sure. But now Jackson County this year alone has 82 deaths from just coronavirus, but there's still people who aren't taking it as seriously. Um, and, and, and it's partly because I think it's not a visible thing. It's, it's an invisible virus, and um, but the numbers are, are clear that it's it's very dangerous, and, and people are dying, and not just in big cities anymore, but all over Michigan. Well, there's so much unsettling about it, and uh, and Eric, I'm I'm going to 
give you a disclaimer here. This is not coming out of the conspiracy files. This has actually happened in the past few weeks. But in Europe, they've um, they've slaughtered millions of mink, mink animals like that make coats out of um, because uh, a new strain of coronavirus was detected in mink farms and it had jumped to humans. So over 200 humans have already gotten this. And, you know, I remember back a year ago, uh, you know, we were in the holidays when it, it, this started in Asia and it was really minimized. So we don't even know how bad COVID can be and the strains of COVID and what's about to happen. And you see people just getting for Corona fatigue heading, heading into the winter. And uh, you hate to say, well, it's got to happen to you before you take it seriously. But uh, I finally, I don't know anybody in my family, but I know several people now in my circle who've gotten it. And so it's starting to become a thing where everybody knows somebody who's, who's gotten coronavirus. And so you just wonder the limits of even, you know, if, if Whitmer just locked the whole state down, you still can't lock down human behavior. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of tempting to think about it like like a curfew for a high school student, right? Like if your curfew is 11 and you can go to 1130, and you don't get in trouble. Like, all right, maybe I'll try 12 at <laughs> 1 a.m. It's, it's kind of like that. Like, all right, I can go to a restaurant. Oh, I didn't catch it. Like, oh, I maybe I can uh, not wear my mask at the grocery store. Maybe I can gather with it and I didn't catch it. But I think it's the wrong way to think about it. It's kind of like. Um, I could have never worn a seatbelt my whole life and, and I would still be fine right now because I've never been in a serious car crash, but um, it only takes one time and, and one single incident to, to really um, to change your life. So I think sometimes it's, it's easy to, to kind of dip your toe in the water of like, well, I did it that time and I was safe, but uh, that's, that's not really how it works. Yeah, you're fine until the day you catch it. And then, and then you got a problem. I, I want to segue here, Taylor, because you mentioned restaurants. Um, and you've done some writing recently about the effects of these new dine-in or di- no dine-in service. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's get into that a little bit. Uh, there seems to be some frustration, but also resignation uh, from the stories you've written on the part of restaurant owners. Um, we had Amy Sherman on, who's part of our Michigan's Best Writing Team, this spring when the restaurants were hit the first time. And she said without government intervention or help during a, a shutdown like this for restaurants and bars, uh, up to 80% could go out of business, uh, which was, I, I made her repeat that number because it seemed like such a staggering number. Uh, and this morning there's, I live in Celine and one of our restaurants downtown sent out an email that the headline was, here we go again. And they were announcing their takeout menu. Um, but why don't you just discuss a little bit about where that stands um, and what they're up against and what they can do. I mean, there are some things they, they're gonna be allowed to do. Yeah, so at least for the next three weeks, there won't be dining in at restaurants. And, and honestly, I don't think anyone is, is expecting it to end after three weeks. Um, the, the virus is still gonna be here in three weeks. This is gonna be a longer term thing for sure. Um, it, it's carry out only essentially because outdoor is, is really challenging right now. You can't even have um, a, a big tent or something like that um, with more than one party in it unless you have three of the sides open. With how cold it is right now, I don't think that's very viable. Um, now, one good thing is um, a lot of restaurants have expected this. They, they're kind of waiting for this. I was talking to a business owner yesterday in, in uh, Metro Detroit, and he said that they knew that they were going to be going back to carry out at some point. So what they did was they spent the summer developing uh, an app for phones and, and tablets and whatnot. And it's on. It's really just kind of to bolster up their carryout program, make it easier for people to order carryout, and 
And um, that was their goal. And now that they're back doing carry out only, they, they were un unrolling this app and, and having people um, just making it easier for them to, to spend their money with them. And it, it's not a solution for sure. But, but another thing I'll mention is I was, I was talking to another restaurant owner in Ann Arbor. And in the past 10 days, he said the sales have not been good. And you think, well, why is that? That they haven't even started the, the order yet to, to shut down dine-in. Well, as the numbers have been going higher and higher, people are less confident going out just because they, they don't want to catch the virus. And they know that restaurants where people are not wearing masks because they're eating and drinking, that's one of the, the more risky places to go. So even if we wouldn't have had any of these restrictions, there's a lot of concerns restaurants would have had just because people aren't going to go and, and put themselves at risk. Um, and that's just going to lower the demand more and more. So really the answer is we got to figure out this, this virus and figure out this pandemic before um, businesses can can really be flourishing again and they, they just have to survive it right now. Taylor, can I, however, they are allowed, like I was downtown Ann Arbor last week um, doing some window shopping and I saw the torches out, you know, yeah. the, the propane torches and people sitting there with their winter jackets and hats yeah. on. So I don't know what people's personal tolerance is for, for eating in the cold, but what, how feasible, I mean, you mentioned they have to have the walls open to these tents. So I don't even know why you'd have a tent at that point, but, um, do you know of any restaurants uh, that are going to try to do this? And also, I think there was either you or another reporter for MLive wrote that there are some grants available, small business grants available from the state uh, to allow people to buy the torches or outdoor seating and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. So just in the past day or so, since the, the announcement Sunday about the new restrictions, there's been questions, well, what is outdoor dining? Um, and, and the state is clarifying uh, this morning that, that basically you have to have, if you have a, a roof or any kind of thing over your head, then you need to have at least three of the sides open. So I, I know in downtown Northville, for example, they have these big heaters and you're kind of just sitting in tables in the middle of the closed down streets. And that would be okay because you don't have, uh, it's not a tent or an igloo or something like that. Um, if you did have those those igloos that you sit inside, you can only have one, one party in there and you're not really even supposed to have staff in there very much. So I'm not sure how feasible that is. Um, there are $3 million in grants that are available for businesses that have either already bought um, winter things to, to basically have um, dining outside or, or other things outside. So they can, they can use that money on stuff they've already purchased or for businesses that are looking into it. Um, but it is weird though, because some of the things that you can buy, um, whether it's um, tents or, or heating equipment and things like that, you might not be able to use them right now during this shutdown. Um, but I talked to um, Brian Kelly from the Small Business Association of Michigan. That's who's putting out the grants. And he said, well, some of these things take more than three weeks to come in when you order them. So potentially um, after this three week partial shutdown is over, you, you might be able to use them, but that's still all to be determined. Uh, Justin or Taylor, what do you know about things that are available for, for people, for people who may be out of work, people whose jobs are affected by this uh, when these businesses start shutting down. Um, I know Congress has stalled on uh, an aid package. Uh, but we don't know if that's going to happen before Biden takes office, but what's available in Michigan? Yeah, that's kind of one of the big questions that came out of, out of these decisions. And we haven't really gotten an answer yet on that. You know, this, the extra $600 in unemployment that we saw earlier in the year isn't still around. And, you know, you, you can get the, the Michigan state unemployment money, but that that's not much to live off of. 
Um, and so uh, the, the governor and, and others in, in Michigan's leadership has really pushed and asked for the federal government to step in and provide more funding, um, you know, more, more support for businesses who, who will be hurting after this. And uh, it's kind of just remains to be seen if and when that's going to happen. So uh, when, when people, when reporters had asked the governor, well, what does this mean? And what kind of extra support is coming? Uh, the answer was pretty much, we don't know yet. We just have to keep asking the federal government to step in. And uh, at this point, we don't really have any new information. Yeah. 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 I mean, the maximum unemployment people in Michigan can get right now is $362, which is 962 they could get earlier in the pandemic. And thing to think about is there was the, the paycheck protection program loan early on in the pandemic so, uh, a lot of businesses were able to keep on their their employees on payroll and even with that we had a 24 percent unemployment rate so, so think about how high that might have been if if we didn't have those loans and those those um that money is gone right now and um, obviously there's discussion about bringing something like that back but um with with kind of a lame duck session right now in washington and and a lot it's unclear what's going to happen. One thing we do know is that um, through all the different weight benefit, um, unemployment benefits available, Michiganders can get up to 59 weeks of unemployment right now, which is a lot higher than, than the 26 um, that you would normally get or the 20 that you would normally get. But those are running out at the end of the year and some of those things that allow for, for extra benefits. So I think the, the Michigan legislature and, and Governor Whitmer is going to have to come back to the table before the, the 2020 ends. And and just make sure that people are still um, get, getting these benefits that even though it's it's not enough for now for a lot of people. And the last thing that I want to bring up is I mentioned I, I went downtown Saturday in Ann Arbor. And when I drove through Ann Arbor, I happened to come in through campus and it was, it was late in the afternoon and the crowds of students were going to parties. You know, the football game was going to be on at 730 at night. They had their gear on. They were playing beer pong out in the yards. Um, and everybody knows the college campuses have been hot spots. And they also know that this week or early next week, all of these kids are going to get disgorged back into their communities. Um, what's the thinking about the risk factors that are involved? Because they, they can't, nobody's locking these kids down on campus. Um, you know, most of these kids are going to be heading homes to their, home to their communities. That's a, that's a good question. That's one that I've, I've been worried about too. Uh, you know, we have seen lots of cases tied to college communities and, you know, the universities, a lot of them and the colleges are doing a good job of uh, to limit the spread, but it's, it's that stuff outside of classes and it's the, it's the getting together in, in social gatherings that, that has really um, spurred those, those cases. So, uh, that's a good question in terms of how it's going to affect, you know, further spread when those, those students go home and, and they're around their families. And uh, I, I'm not personally going to visit my family. I'm on the east side of the state uh, for Thanksgiving this year, probably won't for Christmas this year. Uh, but I don't I don't know to what extent students have that option uh, if unless universities and dorms can stay open for them during those holiday breaks. Mm -hmm. I, my daughter's a student at MSU. So I get the weekly emails from, from president Stanley. And he did say in the email last week that like, nobody's going to be left homeless. I mean, if, if, if they need to have a place to stay, they'll have a place to stay on campus. But I, I, I think really what this all boils down to, and kind of like 
the year of COVID boils down to is personal choice and responsibility in everybody making own, own decisions. And it became pretty apparent this spring that, you know, your, your community wasn't going to look out for you, <laughs> like your neighbor, the guy at the, the store or whatever. You don't even know what they're doing in their personal life. So you have to kind of take care of yourself and it boils down to these personal decisions. So, you know, I just hope that people make the best decisions um, with, with their neighbors and family in mind this week is not just Thanksgiving. You mentioned Christmas too. It's going to be, it's going to be a long cold winter. They usually are. This one's a little bit different. I don't, I don't think it's been normalized yet, but, but I think it, it might need to be that the idea of you go to visit a friend's house, you go to visit your family. And if you don't live with them, you wear a mask in their house. And if you're eating there, you're eating in separate areas. And that's, that's tough. Cause that's not something we're used to, but it's, it's those even five to 10 people in a room, you know, them, you might think that, you know, you know, they're not going out, you know, they're not, they're being responsible. So you trust them. Like, even so there's a chance one person in that room is infected. And if that's the case, a half hour later, everyone is. So staying in the same house for like an entire weekend, <laughs> kind of strains the, you know, the, the virus probably does, it doesn't care. It doesn't care if it's on a, you know, an air ball in the air for, for a half hour or whatever. But anyways, I don't want to leave it on a grim note. I'm just saying, as we know, this has been, been a difficult year and uh, it's been a difficult uh, fall heading in, into the winter. So appreciate the great work you're doing, keeping Michigan residents and our readers informed about the latest and uh, thank you for joining us on, on Behind the Headlines today, Justin and Taylor. Really appreciate it. So much, yeah. And there they go. Big thanks to Justin and Taylor for uh, keeping us up to date on all of these changes and maybe how we start to navigate through the next 21 days and beyond. If you like what John and I are doing, make sure you like, review, and share wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkrin, and this is Behind the Headlines.